Hello and welcome to Blackwells Presents. My name is Alex and I'm the events coordinator at Blackwells Oxford. Today I'm delighted to be interviewing Edward Parnell, author of Ghostland. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Just a minute and a half long, Lonely Water opens with a panning shot across a black twig-strewn pond, accompanied by Donald Pleasance's chilling voiceover. I am the spirit of dark and lonely water, ready to trap the show-off, the unwary, the fool before the camera lingers on a hooded grim reaper standing in the shallows. We cut to another hooded figure, a blue-coated boy who is playing with his friends on the muddy bank of a gravel pit. One of his companions, a lank-haired urchin, is poking a stick at a football that's fallen into the water. We look up at them from the position of the ball towards the down-jabbing twig and the four shouting children. The spirit looms behind them, unbeknown, as the boy slips on the bank. Without learning the fate of the show-off, though the implication is obvious, we switch to a bucolic scene, a tranquil duck-filled mill pond. This time, a lone older lad is leaning forwards, supporting his weight on the bough of an overhanging tree, again to stab at some untouchable object. Donald Pleasance's narrator informs us with great delight, this branch is weak, rotten, it'll never take his weight. We hear the snap as it falls, the cloaked voyeur observing the unfolding tragedy through the nearby reeds. The final scene jumps to a close-up of a danger-no-swimming sign spelled out in large red letters. Only a fool would ignore this, but there's one born every minute. A pile of clothes and a pair of shoes have been left among a mountain of detritus as the camera pans to the pit where a boy is struggling and shouting for help. Under the water there are traps. Old cars, bedsteads, weeds, hidden depths. It's the perfect place for an accident. Watching Lonely Water again, the grisly relish Donald Pleasance's spirit takes in his description of these lurking dangers is one of the most unnerving elements about it. This brief voiceover role might well have been the most frightening of his long career. The lad, fortuitously, is rescued from the water by two sensible passing children who chide him in thick Cockney accents. Oi mate, that's a stupid place to swim. And the spirit is exercised, leaving just a discarded robe on the muddy ground that is thrown into the water by his rescuers. But Pleasance is determined to have the last word, the spirit's voice reverberating as the camera lingers on the cape that is by now sinking beneath the brown waves. I'll be back. So I finished reading the book this weekend, really enjoyed it. For our our listeners who have not yet had the pleasure, could you tell us a little bit about what the book's about? Yeah, it's a book about the places around the British Isles that inspired writers and filmmakers whose work touches upon the weird and the eerie. So people like the Victorian-born ghost story writer M.R. James, uh, Algernon Blackwood, William Hope Hodgson, lots of Victorian Edwardian figures like that, uh, mm-hmm. Doyle and Kipling, then kind of more recent people like Alan Garner and Susan Cooper. So books that I, I read as a child, kind of growing up in the 70s and 80s, part of that sort of haunted generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was obsessed with ghosts from a really young age, from my kind of almost earliest memories sort of three or four I think I was kind of into ghosts and on family holidays I'd be asking you know we we went round Carnarvon Castle and I was asking whether there was any ghosts there when, to the guide stuff like that um, mm. but I think a lot of that came out of the environment I 
grew up in because there was so much weird stuff on the telly back then and I kind of was absolutely attracted to all of that lots of weird stuff kind of aimed at kids that's kind of I think far more adult than some of the stuff today and really kind of quite Mm -hmm. eerie spooky stuff so there was all of that and then I was also into ghost stories and got my kind of we didn't have a video for a while um but way back then um so before we got one when I used to go around my aunt and uncles they had one before us and I, I'd get my auntie to video kind of Dracula and all these old universal mm. horror films off the telly off late night tv for me to watch in the summer holidays so yeah I was a bit of an odd kid but I, I, I did <laughs> like my ghosts nice you were not alone I also I had the, when I read the introduction of your thing I was like I did that in Carnarvon Castle too <laughs> so yeah it was great um, and it's true. So I grew up in the 80s and I think there was a lot of TV that was also stuff that still was being um, repeated that I don't think you'd show children now. Things that are really terrifying. One of the ones um, that you write about is about the, the water safety. Yeah, the spirit of dark and lonely water. Yeah. The public health, um, the, the sort of health and safety film that was the public service film. Yeah. And it's absolutely terrifying. It's got Donald Pleasance does the voiceover for it and he's essentially he's the voice of this this hooded grim reaper figure that's Mm -hmm. essentially kind of enticing young children to their deaths because they're playing too near water or around like a river or a gravel pit or something and this was meant to kind of warn us all off as kids at that time not to do those things but I don't actually think it worked because I do remember playing near a river quite a lot with my friends and I actually remember my friend once when we were about 10 he fell in the river whilst we were chucking sticks up at a tree to get conkers he was all right mm. it was only kind of like two <laughs> feet deep but yeah even though we'd watched all of these warning films that if you're too near the river you will fall in and die and yeah. the grim reaper will get you and there was actually there was other kind of films warning you about that with the charlie says cat i don't know if you remember those yeah. there was one of those where charlie goes in the water so there was all of this kind of stuff but so that was kind of that's part of that backdrop and you're right they kept showing that stuff for a I mean, that, The Spirit of Dark and Lonely Water is a film from like the early 70s, but right. they were showing it into like the mid-80s, I think. And occasionally it would pop up on kids' TV or even bef- at the cinema if you, you, know, you went to see an you know, E.T. or something, it would have been on before it. So. Yeah, I think I watch a lot of horror films, read a lot of horror, and I think that one of the scariest things I've ever seen remains this public safety video about playing on railway tracks okay. that we watched at school. And this would have been like 92 it was like first year at secondary school and it includes these really like realistic images like possibly real photos of children who've been horribly like maimed yeah on railway tracks and i just think nowadays yeah possibly not i mean it definitely worked with me i've never played on a railway there was track. another one that i i talked about in like the first draft of the book but it was a bit too long so it got cut sadly but this 27 minute long film called Apaches that's mm-hmm. essentially it's a warning to it's like a warning to the farm curious it's it's don't play around farms or hay bales or agricultural machinery right. and this succession of children um, all meet really grisly deaths and it's it's horrific oh, it's man. directed <laughs> by the guy who um, person who directed the long good friday the you know the the right. bob hoskins london gangster <laughs> Docklands film so that's kind of gives you a, an idea of its kind of body count and yeah oh wow I guess one of the things I was thinking when I was reading the book it's a bit of a chicken and egg question it's do you think it's like us as people 
who have this kind of haunted mindscape and place it on the landscape? Or do you think there is something kind of inherent in bits of Britain that has inspired all these like ghost stories and I suspect certain places do just look a bit eerier or creepier or there's you know something about a lonely salt marsh or something mm-hmm. in, where I grew up in the fens so it's all it's all kind of flat and big skies and bleak and eerie actually to me I don't find it particularly unsettling because I grew up there but mm-hmm. I know other people it's been quite a kind of fertile ground for ghost story writers and 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 films like that landscape a lot you know in dramas and things mm-hmm. but to me it's not particularly unsettling because I'm used to it so I, I think maybe the unfamiliar as well if you if you've grown up somewhere where it's kind of a nice rolling countryside and then you're suddenly slap bang on a Norfolk salt marsh and there's just sort of this kind of endless vistas in front of you I think that that could because you're not used to it that can be unsettling I think much as I love kind of upland landscapes I still think there's an element where it's a little bit kind of creepy in that and then there's probably Mm -hmm. things like walking around a wood on your own it's obviously it can be well you you, there's always I think like a slightly primeval fear that something's going to come out of the wood a bear or something but Mm. equally it can be you can just get a bit more disorientated so I think things like that kind of play into our kind of folkloric fears and Mm-hmm. fairy tales and things so I think there's elements of that but then I think equally on that a lot of it is our own kind of cultural baggage so lots of the places I, I visited in Ghostland were really I wanted to explore places that had a, a kind of resonance with me because it's also as well as being a book about these other I guess haunted writers really because it was writers who had something in their lives this kind of haunted quality that also attracted me um, that kind of also kind of chimes in with my own sort of autobiographical story that I wanted to tell in the book so most of the places I go even though that they have a connection to these writers or filmmakers Mm -hmm. or artists they're also somewhere that perhaps I went to on a childhood holiday so I'm also then thinking back to my own kind of family story and when I'm trying to kind of delve back into that and, and retell and make sense of what happened then so yeah I do think a lot of it probably is our own baggage that we bring to it mm-hmm. but I'm sure some places are, are inherently a bit more eerie than others yeah yeah I think especially there's a bit we we're talking about Stonehenge and I visited there a few times with my grandparents and you can feel that kind of power even now when it's yeah quite you know it's, it's you can't just walk through the stones and it's quite cut off but you could still feel and if that. you catch it at the right time I think something to do with it as well because if you go on a beautiful hot sunny day somewhere it you might think well, this isn't very eerie. I went to um, Alderley Edge in Cheshire, which mm-hmm. forms a backdrop of the um, the really the, the early Alan Garner books, the Weird Stone of Brisingham, which I can never pronounce. Uh, that book and the Moon of Gomrath mm-hmm. um, upon Alderley Edge, this weird sort of outcrop, really. But it was such a nice day when I went and it was completely full of people just walking their dogs and jogging. Right. And I kind of thought I wasn't I was a, I think in a sense I was a little bit disappointed that I, I it didn't quite have to me that on that day that I, I loved it. But it didn't quite have the magic that I would pictured it from the books. But I think had I have turned up, you know, on a slightly stormier day and I'd been the only person there, then I'm, I think it would have had maybe a more of an effect on me. So I think that's also kind of figures in you know you're you arrive at dusk somewhere and mm-hmm. no one else is around it's definitely going to have more impact than or there's a there's a coach load of tourists just wandering <laughs> along 
Yeah, I think, um, I know like Oxford, it's a sort of damp, dreary February day as we're recording. And when it's like beautiful and sunny, it's so lovely. But, you know, sometimes you get some fog coming through yeah. and suddenly, you know, you could be back in like the Middle Ages or something. And yeah. everything has that slightly more haunted feel to it. Um, so as you said, there's quite a lot of personal like autobiography in the book. Was it hard to write that? And does it feel strange that now that's sort of out in the world for everyone to be reading? Yeah, it was, you know, obviously it's because it's, there's, I won't go into it too much, but there's, there's quite a kind of sad family story. It's mm-hmm. kind of forms the, the backdrop of the book. And I suppose that became almost like a kind of quest for me to do that and to kind of delve into these kind of memories. I'd perhaps not really mm-hmm. thought, dwell, dwelt upon too much for 20 years or something. So yeah, some of that stuff was actually, was painful to, to, to revisit um and then but I think when I was doing it I got quite engrossed in it and it's it's quite odd you don't really when you're writing a book or at least I didn't I didn't really think about the reality of oh then everyone else is going to be able to read this and (laughs) and know about Mm -hmm. it so I hadn't really considered it but by the time it came out then there's a there's a little element just when you're getting the proofs I think where you suddenly think oh why have I written this am I sure I want everybody to (laughs) not there's anything kind of bad in it Mm -hmm. but you still kind of think yeah perhaps should I have kind of given away quite so much of myself in in those bits because it's I think quite an honest book but then I kind of thought well no that's kind of the point of it because I actually wanted to kind of I suppose breathe a kind of life into these other kind of ghosts in my own family who otherwise if I you know if I if if I wasn't to write their story then it wasn't gonna it was just gonna kind of vanish I think Mm -hmm. so it kind of that felt quite a quite a privilege I think to to have that opportunity really yeah here's a question do you believe in ghosts (laughs) a few people have asked me that recently and I don't know I'm kind of agnostic I think Mm -hmm. I'm I'm broadly skeptical I mean but I I, I'm not completely dismissive of that there's well certainly phenomena that we don't really have Mm -hmm. a handle on what's causing it um whether the kind of the the spirits of the dead are kind of hovering there in the kind of way that the Victorians might like to have thought they were at seances and things Mm -hmm. I'm I'm less convinced by that. And if I kind of think about that too much, I sort of think I'm not even sure I really want that to be the case. Yeah. But, but as to whether there's, you know, there's there's clearly places and, you know, there's a couple of incidents in the book where slightly odd things happen to me. And I, I reckon I've got friends who will go to, you know, they'll walk around an old church and they'll be, oh, I felt something there. And I'm, what, what, what was it? I, you know, I, I reckon if there is a kind of perceptiveness that I'm the, mm-hmm. the least perceptive person <laughs> and, you know, I've, then other people may be, well, you know, much more attuned to such things. But even so, there were a couple of things in the book that I don't have an entirely, I don't have a very good rational explanation for. Mm-hmm. That's not to say there isn't a rational explanation. And the boring rational explanation, even if it's a bit far-fetched, could well be be the explanation why a book flies across a room or something but mm-hmm. yeah I so I don't know but I'm not I'm not dismissive of it I'm I, you know I, I wouldn't laugh at someone if I'm, I'm kind of yeah I, I'm I'm I don't know I think I want to believe in the kind of x-files type way yeah. but I, I don't I'm not sure <laughs> yeah have you ever seen the stone tape yeah yeah because I, I think that as far as I do believe in anything I always think that theory kind of makes sense that, like, you know, places hold energy. on to a, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and that makes sense to me. There's a lot of ghost stories about this building, okay. about Blackwells. We did a tour once and we like collected everything together. Um, that was really fun. And I really like telling them. And then if I'm here on my own at, in the dark, I'm suddenly like, oh, this all seems really real now. And I wish I didn't know. But my favourite story is about a ghost bear that was seen walking down the steps oh, to the fantastic. Norrington Room when they were digging it out. Because um, there used to be bear pits back there oh, right, in, the, okay. in the Middle Ages. Um, so it makes more sense than you might think. But yeah, I think there's that moment where you're in a place. Yeah. And, it, you know, the atmosphere's right and suddenly everything seems much more believable. Although I suspect if you go there looking for it, you know, when you go on a like an organised tour, a ghost walk in Edinburgh yeah. or something, you're clearly not going to kind of... That would be the the last time that something would manifest itself. It's always it's yeah. bound to be when you're kind of on your own or, I don't know, you've had a couple of pints or so that's, that's probably when it's going to happen. That's it. Like when you're at your least reliable as yeah. well. So it's just like, yeah, a few pints down. No yeah. one's going to believe what I'm saying. And um, yeah, I saw a ghost. But as you're recording this now, you might play this mm. back and there'll be some weird electronic voice phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, just Basil Blackwell standing behind yeah. me going like, I'm here. Um so there's, you mentioned so many books and stories in um, in the book. Is there any is there any one particular book that's really influenced you and your writing, or and anything that didn't make it into the book? But there's lots of stuff, mm. lots of writers say. In the the first draft of this book was probably like another third as long again. So um, some of that stuff, which was I I, you know, I like the stuff I was writing about, and whole kind of chapters went. There was a whole chapter on Dartmoor that had lots of stuff in I really liked, but it mm-hmm. it just didn't quite. It, it I think seemed just a little bit separate, kind of on balance, and it was just getting such a big book because it's kind of nearly. It doesn't feel like because it's it's very beautifully set out and um, it's kind of nicely spaced, but mm. it's still a sort of four hundred and fifty page book, so it didn't really need to be much longer. But you know, bit, people like um, Daphne du Maurier kind of got lost in the edit. Mm-hmm. So some, actually, that's that film we talked about earlier, the Apaches, the far, the horrific farmyard thing. Yeah, that that didn't make it. There was a there was a, quite a lot about the film An American Werewolf in London, which absolutely terrified me as a sort of 10 year old yeah. when I first watched oh, it yeah, great so film. that that unfortunately went as well so there was there, there's and then lots of kind of mentions of other stories that there just wasn't quite time for or had to be really cut back mm-hmm. but in terms of the the people who are there I mean I think that M.R. James is probably on balance my favorite kind of writer if you take all of his works he mm-hmm. wasn't actually that prolific he I think he had about sort of 30 or so ghost stories uh, published during his lifetime and um, some of his kind of contemporaries people like Algernon Blackwood who mm-hmm. some of his work I absolutely love but he was a little bit more prolific so I think when you the more you delve into his work you might find that there's a few more kind of throwaway stories but right though at his best his story The Willows is, is one of my favorites that I do talk about that yeah I haven't read any of his oh. and I, I honestly I now have such a long list of things I need to read it's, yeah he's yeah. he's fantastic in that kind of sense mm-hmm. as well um I mean there were there were real highlights for me so the this Edwardian writer William Hope Hodgson who wrote this mm-hmm. eerie weird fiction including a couple of novels he lo- he wrote lots of maritime based stuff so I'm sure his his kind of some of that work like the ghost pirates um, is kind of, I think, behind um, the Pirates of the Caribbean film, or at least a lot mm-hmm. of that kind of imagery. I'm sure that kind of 
that plays into all of that stuff. But I, I really like his maritime tales. But his, I think to me, well, my favourite of his novels, and he didn't write very many because he ended up in the First World War, like as the First World War played out with lots of these characters as mm. well, or at least in their, you know, their, their children as well. So it had, I think, a big effect, clearly it did at that point, on, on this kind of fiction as well. But I got to go to um, Hope Hodgson's house in Wales where he, he wrote the book, or we think, where we think he wrote the book. Mm-hmm. He certainly wrote the intro to it on the, in this little coastal town um, in Wales. And I just kind of rocked up thinking, well, I'll see if I can find where it was. And I didn't think I would because it's obviously it's, a, it's over a century ago that he wrote the book there. And I figured mm-hmm. the place might have changed its name. But there it was almost as soon as I got out of the car and I plucked up courage and knocked on the door and um yeah the owner let me was actually knew what I was knew I, I thought well they're, they're bound to they won't have they won't have known that there's this right mm-hmm. this weird obscure writers lived here but they did and he was the guy who lived there was really knowledgeable about him and invited me in and it was fantastic to be kind of sat in that room where possibly this kind of this writer I, I really like wrote this book kind of staring out over onto Cardigan Bay yeah oh that's amazing um, so what what's next? Do you what's the plan? Is there any other sort of landscapes you'd like to do a similar thing with? And then I guess would that also time with a personal story or? Yeah, I'm not quite yeah. sure yet. I think I'd, I'd I want to write another narrative nonfiction book, and actually another element of this book because it's it's kind of it's got lots of different things in there. So I think actually it's quite interesting with bookshops. They don't quite know where to put it, whether to mm-hmm. put it in biography or cultural criticism or nature writing it gets and there's quite a lot of nature writing in there and I suppose that's kind of my background to an extent that kind of world Mm -hmm. so I think my next book might have a bit more of that in it um but then I've written a novel as well before and I'd quite like to write another novel so perhaps a novel with a bit more kind of supernatural eeriness in there might at least on the fringes of it that that's something I'm kind of quite keen to do as well That'd be great. Have you ever read any Daisy Johnson's books? I've got Fen at home yeah. and it's on my shelf waiting to be read, but I haven't yet. But I'm, I am looking forward to doing That's it. it. Yeah. I'm going to say, I mean, our landscape is still producing all these, yeah. these great and spooky stories, which is really exciting. Okay, so if there was, I guess you kind of answered this with MRJ, but if there was a one book that you could, that people who've read Ghostland go away and read immediately afterwards what would you say that would be i think if you're going to if you're going to get one collection of ghost you know short ghost stories mm-hmm. then i would get the collected stories of mr james if you've not read any um because they're they're all they're all pretty good okay there are clearly if anything there's there's better ones and ones that aren't quite so strong mm-hmm. but e- even the kind of weaker ones are still really interesting um yeah, The House on the Borderlands, a really odd novel. I'd, the William Hope Hodgson novel. Yeah, I haven't read that. I was Yeah, that's, I think that's worth a go. And oh. it's, it's kind of two very distinct halves. But then something like, I loved going back to The Owl Service, which is, I think, my favourite mm. Alan Garner book. And that was, I, I went to the Welsh Valley where, all too briefly, was my, my visit to it. But that was, that, was, that was very atmospheric. And I think a really kind of haunting wonderful book so that too I think oh amazing well 
thank you edward for joining me today and thank you all for listening follow us on twitter and instagram at at blackwell oxford our youtube channel at blackwell's bookshop and have a look at all of our fantastic upcoming events at blackwells.co.uk slash events edward's book is available to order from blackwells.co.uk thanks for listening